If you have your Bibles tonight, as you are at your home, wherever you might be, if you would, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 through 20. And we are on this subject of our lives, and as Peter is teaching us about what we should be as Christians, we entitle this message... Are you a good advertisement or a bad advertisement? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The Bible says in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for the cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Let's thank the Lord for the reading of His Word. Father, we love You tonight and we thank You for Your precious Word and Your Word is good. And Father, tonight we ask that You bless us in the reading of Your Word, but also bless the preaching and the teaching of Your Word tonight. Father, help us to understand. Help us to look deep into Your Word and Come out tonight with uh, renewed uh, uh, eyes and, and, and thoughts about what you'd have us to be as Christians. Father, this Christian life is not an easy life. It never has been. But God, it's a life that's well worth living. And I pray, Father, that you will help us tonight to live that life in front of a world that's lost. That they don't know you. They don't understand you, but through us, through our lives, through the way we live, they can understand you more. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do here tonight. Thank you, Father, for being with us. In your precious, sweet name, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we started last week, we read First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through about 16, but we didn't get to those last three verses there that we read tonight. And so, as we said last week, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you know tonight, it's important how we live. It's important how we live because somebody is watching us, somebody is looking at us. And it's because of this that Peter now takes kind of a practical turn in his teaching 
to us tonight. He, he's going to talk about the importance of living this Christian life. And by the way, I, I don't take that um, term, Christian life, in a, a belittled way. I, I want to live my Christian life to the fullest for the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it takes things in our life to do this. It takes a way that we live. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When you look at this, you have to understand that what he's saying here, he's saying that your life and my life will either stop the mouths of the critics or it will provide fuel for them to to criticize you as a Christian. You see, he talks here about the Christian being a good citizen for the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks here about the Christian being a good worker, a good servant. He says slave here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but it means a good servant in the days that we're living in now. It's those three pictures that... Peter's going to get across to us tonight, and the first picture, of course, we talked about last week, and it was the picture of the attractiveness of the Christian life. The attractiveness of the Christian life. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, honest among the Gentiles. Honest among the Gentiles. Well, what he means here is that if you and I live the life that we should live, if we are attractive, if there's something lovely about our Christian life and it's eye-catching, then other people are going to want to know what we have that they don't have. We have a powerful tonight, a powerful influence. I know that sometimes the old devil will try to make us think that we don't have any influence at all, but I'm here to tell you, because of the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have a powerful influence tonight in stopping the critics that go against the Christian faith. The number one thing that we see here, there are two reasons that our lives should be attractive and attractive as a Christian testimony. The first reason is because we are strangers and pilgrims, is what Paul said there in those earlier verses. He said, you and I as Christians, we're really strangers and we're pilgrims. I know that that sounds uh, old-fashioned and that sounds like uh, you know something that we don't talk like today, but what he's saying there is this. He's saying that um, we really don't belong down here. You see, as Christians... We're not really living our lives to get ahead in this world. We're not really living our lives, you know, to be seen by this world. We're living our lives because we really live in another world. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home's not here. Our home is in heaven. 
And we need to understand that and take that as a serious form in our lives, knowing that we're just passing through here, that we're just strangers and pilgrims here, that our home is really in heaven. So the first thing he wants us to know about this attractive Christian life and the way we can show that attractiveness is to know that our home's not really here. Our home's in heaven. We don't have to fit in here. We don't have to have the praise of this world. The second thing he tells us is found there in verse 11, verse 11 of First Peter chapter 2, and it says this. He says the next thing, as our lives needs to be attractive, is we need to abstain from fleshly lust. What does he mean there? He means that in our Christian life here on this earth tonight, we need to have some personal discipline about us. For us to be attractive to a lost world, a, a world that is lost without Jesus Christ, we need really to have some personal discipline about us in this part that we play as a Christian. Now, the word lust there, we normally think in terms of sexual lust, but this has a much wider meaning when he says it here. It has a much wider meaning than that. First of all, uh, when you look at these uh, fleshly lusts and what he's talking about, he's talking about that, that, that we have these lusts that, that war against our bodies. We have these lusts that war against our minds as Christians. We have this lust that uh, wars against our soul. And, and we have to understand as Christians, we are not part of this world. We don't live here. And part of our attractiveness as Christians is to abstain from these things. Keep our lives clean, if you want to put it in simple terms. Keep our lives clean. How many of you know that it takes a lot in this Christian life. It takes a lot. It takes study. It takes uh, being close to God. It takes having that personal relationship. It takes knowing the Word of God to keep ourselves clean uh, when it comes to our Christian life. And to know this, that no wonder that there's so many people that say they are Christian and say that they know the Lord, and, and, and it's the very ones that the, the people of the world see doing things they should not do and saying things they should not say, and, and, and these critics make fun of, of the Lord that we love and make fun of the Christian faith because of the way some people live in this life. And I'm saying to you tonight that to be an attractive Christian, we need to take these things into consideration and know that our life has a meaning to this lost world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, here's what Matthew says about this. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Our Christian life tonight, as, as men and women and boys and girls uh, that are Christians, our Christian life ought to be a life so consecrated and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ that this old world can see the good works that don't come from us, but come from what's inside of us. Uh, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, so that they can see Jesus in us. So Matthew says, let your lights uh, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. He said, if they see it, maybe they'll glorify your Father uh, which is in heaven. So live, people. Live that Christian life that will glorify the Lord, that people can see 
Jesus inside of you, that they can see that light of the Holy Spirit and know that you're different, that you're not of this place, that you're not living your life to gain in this life, that you're living your life because you know heaven is your home. The second thing is, is the submissiveness of your life. Peter starts talking about the submissiveness of your life. That starts in verse 13. You see, if you want to stop the critics, if you want to stop them, you do so not only by the attractiveness of your life, but you also do that by the submissiveness of your life. And I know that's a word that we don't like to use much anymore, being submissive. Not many people want to be submissive anymore. But folks, in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you know we have to be submissive to Him? We have to be. And it comes from a life that wants to be pure and holy and attractive. So it comes this submissiveness. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.13. He's telling us how to be this Christian in this world that we're not even part of, really. He says in 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself. I mean, it's simple. It's to the point. Submit yourself. I know that just reading that, sometimes we just pass over it and we don't really uh, look to see what it's really saying there. But then he says in verse 15, he says, not only submit yourself, for so is the will of God. You see, God wants submissive servants, submissive children. You know, my father and mother always wanted us as children to be submissive. I mean, it's just part of growing up. I mean, they're teaching you how to be uh, men and women. They're teaching you how to grow up to uh, to love the Lord. And my parents, I thank them for taking me to church. I thank them for Uh, teaching me about the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank them for all that. But that was part of who they were as my parents. They, they, They were to teach me. But not only that, as a child, I was to be submissive to the will of my parents. The same thing is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my heavenly Father. I love Him more than life itself. It's not hard if you love Jesus, if you're saved, to be submissive to him, and he's saying that, for this is the will of God. It is God's will for us as believers to be submissive to him. The word submissiveness means to rank under. That means that we put ourselves in place. You tonight need to understand that you're not in charge of yourself anymore. We don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. He bought us with the price, he paid for us. On the cross of Calvary, when He shed His blood. The only reason you and I can have salvation tonight is because Jesus died on the cross and because He offers His forgiveness for our sins because He died for our sins. And so tonight, we rank under. We put ourselves into subjection to Him. To be a Christian citizen, we need to be submissive. Now, of course, we are citizens of heaven, as I just said. We are strangers and pilgrims on this place. But between now and heaven, we're living in this world, and we are citizens down here. So what do we have to do to understand that, that being citizens down here, how do we act? How do we be good citizens? 
He says, well, one thing we have to understand is that this is the will of our Father. The will of our Father is to be good citizens. The will of our Father is to submit ourselves. To submit ourselves to the ordinances of men for the Lord's sake. That is the authority. There is authority here on this earth. Now I've seen over the last few years how that authority is starting to break down because people are going against that authority that God really put in place. Every God-ordained authority that is here on this earth, we're supposed to be submissive to it. By the way, God has ordained government, whether you know that or not. The Bible says that Christians are to be submissive. It's the will of God that we submit to authority for the Lord's sake. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Now stay with me just a moment. He's telling us how we can look attractive. How we can win the lost. How we can be that servant that we're supposed to be in submissiveness. He says we're supposed to be submissive. 1 Peter 2.13 says, be submissive whether it be to the king. Now, that was the top dog during that time. That's the reason he put it here. The top dog was the king. He was the top of authority on this earth. So in those days, uh, he's saying, be submissive, whether it be to the king. Uh, we would say, now during our day and time, we would say to the president. We elect a president. We put him into power. Or into governors, as vo verse 14 tells us. We might say the mayor. Or the state government. What he is saying, what Peter is saying here, is he's saying there's all kinds of Government that is ordained by God. Now listen just a moment. As believers tonight, we have a responsibility to be obedient citizens. To be submissive citizens. Now think for a moment. Think for just a moment. The city of Johnson City, let's just use that since we're here tonight. The city of Johnson City has the absolute they have no absolute right to tell me to come into this church. They have no right to come in here and say, now preacher, uh, you can't preach this. Or preacher, this is what we want you to preach. They cannot come into the fellowship of Grace Free Will Baptist Church and tell us what to preach. I don't have to go downtown to City Hall and check with the mayor uh, to, to see or the governor of the state, to, or anybody to decide what I'm going to preach on on Sunday morning. The only one I go to is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one I go to. But, they do have the right to do some things. Because of the laws. Because of obedience to the laws. They can tell us in this church... They can come in here. Matter of fact, you can go in the fellowship hall there on Sunday. You can walk through the door and look to the left. And on the wall, there's a certificate there that tells us how many people we can have in that fellowship hall. They have the right to do that. Because it's the law. They have the right to tell us 
uh, what we can actually, uh, if we, uh, we have to take a bid down there, and we have to take the drawings down there if we ever build anything, and they have the right to tell us how we can build that building. I mean, they can tell us to change a door here. Change. They can do that because they have the right under the law. They have a perfect right to do this because of the laws of our city. And we as believers... We as Christians have the responsibility to obey the authority as it has been established. As far as it doesn't infringe upon our command to obey the Lord and and to preach the Word of God and, and to do these things that God has told us again. If they don't go against that, good citizenship, being good citizens of this earth, is a positive testimony for those out there that are lost. For those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. For those that are critic, uh, critical of the Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians, listen to me tonight. All Christians, we got to get back on page here, folks. All Christians should be good citizens. Jesus paid taxes. What makes you think you don't need to pay taxes? You and I are to be good citizens. Doing this will silence the critics. Notice that Peter says in verse 14 that authority and leaders and these kinds of people are here for a reason. Look what he says in verse 14. He says they're here for a reason, that we have these people for a reason. For the punishment of evildoers. Here's what governments are there for. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now think about that. In other words, governments, and we know our court systems, we know how that works. Now I'm not saying it works perfectly all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm not telling you that because you know it doesn't. But what I am telling you, they're put into place to punish those that are doing wrong and evil things, and they're there to praise people that do the right things. That's what they're there for. That's why God put government into place. If not, we just have chaos. And folks, we're almost there now. We're living in a world... Tonight, to where there's no respect. He commends virtue tonight. And he condemns evil here. Let me ask you a question, and I just want you to be honest about it, just to get us in this frame of thought. Let's say you're going down uh, 81, going towards Knoxville, and you're going down, and you're just barreling down the road, and your mind's not on how fast you're going. All of a sudden to the right hand side you see a, a, a trooper sitting up there on the, uh, on the interstate. And you, what, what do you think you would do if you'd done that? If you saw that? I know what you'd do just like I'd do. You'd let off the gas. And you want to know why you do that? The reason you do that and you know what I'm talking about and you know why you do that you do that because the government exists for punishment if you break the law. That's what it's for. And so we let off the gas like we're uh, like out on a Sunday drive or something. All of us do that. Because we know that if we barrel on down the road at the, at the rate of speed we're going at, we're going to get a ticket. So the law is set in place for evildoers. 
And it's set in place for well-doers. God's people are to be good citizens. You, as a Christian tonight, are to exemplify uh, being a good citizen. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.15 says. For so is the will of God that with well-doing. What does that mean? That is, if you are that kind of person, if by the submissiveness of your life, you demonstrate, if that's you tonight, Christ makes you a good citizen. It says that you'll put to silence, that's what Peter's saying here, you'll put to silence all those critics. If they see in you that you're living the way God wants you to live and you're obeying the laws and obeying what God wants you to obey, then they see that in you it will put that ignorance of that criticism away. Most critics are just like what he says here. Most critics, as one preacher said, he said most critics are like crickets. They do all their chirping in the dark time. And that's the truth. In the night. Verse 16 says, now listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. He says that's free. We're living this life because we are free. I'm free tonight. I'm telling you, I'm free. Not because the laws of this land has made me free. Not because I've been set free by by this country. No, I'm free tonight because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He saved me. So Peter says you got to realize, living this good life, this citizenship life, he says you're free and not using, listen, he says just because you're free, don't use your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Just because God has set us free, listen to me, it don't mean we, have to, we can go against uh, uh, the laws of this land. That is a cover-up for evil is what he's trying to say. This cloak, a cover-up of evil. Some people just, just cover up their evil, you know. God says, as a Christian man or woman... As a, as a saved individual, we don't go around covering up things. That's not who we are as a good citizen of the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ has set us free. And folks, I am free indeed. I'm free from sin tonight. I'm free from the law tonight. But we are not to use that freedom as some kind of cover-up. To give us an excuse not to be good citizens and I'm afraid that some people are doing that they're using this as a cover up so they can do the things they want to do listen to verse 16 again but as servants of God you see we don't use this salvation as a cover up we use it as being a servant of God we do the right thing Christians tonight your job is to do the right thing Not the wrong thing, the right thing. And then he says in that same uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, we are to honor all men. That's what Christians should do. We ought to honor all men. Uh, We should should tonight honor all men. In those days, uh, it was estimated that he was writing here. In those days, it was estimated that there might have been around 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 
And most of these slaves were professional people. You know, it is said when Hitler uh, uh, came in upon the Jews that there were so many of those people that were professional people, doctors and lawyers and, and, and teachers, but not only that, there was people that were uh, workers, laborers. And the same thing was true here. With the Roman Empire, these people were professional people. There were some uh, doctor slaves and there were some teacher slaves and, and laborer slaves. But God says here, we are to respect all men. We are to honor all men. Now listen to me tonight. We need to get in on this because this old world has gone crazy. We're to honor all men. That's what the Bible says. Honor those. What does he mean by honor these men? You see, in the Roman culture of this time, uh, there was very, very little respect for the slaves of this time. Uh, in fact, the noted philosopher Aristotle said that, they, that these slaves, that the only difference in the beast and the slaves were that the, the slaves could speak words. Now think about that. Yet Christian faith comes along and says, and Peter comes along and writes, Honor all men. In other words, don't look at these men and these women different. Honor them. There's a worth of all individuals. There should be a respect for all people. Then he says you are to, in 1 Peter 2.17, love the brotherhood. So he says as Christians tonight, uh, we are making our way through this world. We are being attractive to this world. We're supposed to be good citizens in this world. But then he says we're to honor all men. And then he says we are to love the brotherhood. That is an important uh, verse right there. And you need to understand this. What does that mean? He's saying, in other words, we are to love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Listen, folks, tonight, to be a, a, a Christian that God wants you to be and, and to be what God wants you to be, a, a light to this earth, you have to love people. If you don't love people, there's something wrong with your relationship with Christ. He says, love the brotherhood. That's what I'm thrilled about in the day and time we live. I'm thrilled about our church. I, on the most part, I can honestly say our church loves one another. I, I've had people praying for people this week, and I'm here to tell you, because of your prayers, because of your prayers, because you love people, I can see things start to change. And that's a thrilling thing for, uh, for Christian brothers and sisters to have. That kind of respect for each other. That we love one another. And that we're genuinely concerned about one another. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 also, he says, not only honor all men, but he says, love the brotherhood. And then he says this. He says, fear God. Fear God and honor the king. Now those two, you would think that he's talking about something else, but I'm going to tell you what he's talking about there. He's saying fear God, but then he says honor the king. That means to respect the Lord. I'm here to tell you tonight, our God ought to have all of our respect and honor. Then he says show honor for the leaders. 
You know, we just had a presidential election, and my wife and I have talked about this for a long time, and I'm just going to give it to you tonight what I was thinking about this a long time ago. You know, now from this pulpit, let me, let me just tell you, from this pulpit, I, I don't tell you who to vote for. But what I do do, I do my job from this pulpit. And my job is, as a Christian leader, as a pastor, to tell you what areas you need to vote for. What things that, that, that some people would put in that are very wicked and bad that you shouldn't vote for. And I can tell you those things. One of the things you should vote for when you're voting for a president of the United States, you should vote for someone that loves life, that is pro-life. You should vote for someone that doesn't kill babies. Let's just put it that way. When you're voting for a president of the United States, you should vote for someone that believes a marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's what you should vote for. But... You have certain responsibilities as Christians. You have certain responsibilities yourself to know the moral issues and know what they are. And whoever that is elected president of the United States, because we are in this government, we are in this America, we live here, they will be the president. They're going to be the president. Now, we may not agree with what they do, and that's okay. We can disagree. But it's my responsibility as a believer tonight to respect, listen to me, to respect the office of the President of the United States. It was such a shock to my wife and myself to see over those four years the disrespect for our President. I mean, when I was a kid, you didn't disrespect the president. You didn't say things about the president. You didn't disrespect our flag, and you didn't disrespect the Christian values. You didn't do any of that when I was a kid. You put your hand over your heart every morning and said the pledge to the allegiance. Your teacher read you a Bible story. God was put in the center. And you see what he's saying here? God is the center. God is the part that keeps all this stuff together. And when you throw Him out, then everything falls apart. And that's what's happened tonight in America. Our president was treated really as an enemy of the state. And how can we as a country ever depend and defend our country hating our leaders. We're in trouble, folks. When our forefathers came together, I've been watching some history this week. When our forefathers came together, they never meant for us to hate the very place that we live at. They never meant for us to hate America. They meant for us to love what God has given us and, and make it work. But folks, I believe tonight, and I really believe it with all my heart, I believe America has gone too far. Respect is a good testimony as a child of God. We put silence on the critics by the, 
the attractiveness of our life. We put silence on the critics by the submissiveness of our life. And last but not least, listen to what Peter says. He says, we put silence on the critic by the graciousness of our life. Not only does the Bible say that we're strangers and pilgrims, not only are we citizens, but in those days, many of them were slaves. Now, we're going to talk about this just for a moment. So he says, Peter says, that you silence the critics by the graciousness of your life as a Christian. Look at verse 18. The first word is uh, servants. We don't like that word anymore. We, we don't really use that word anymore, servants. It's a word that deals directly with slaves. You know, slavery was a great social problem in those days. I'm talking about the days that Peter's writing here. It was a social problem in those days. But you will not find a planned out program in the New Testament for how to do away with the institution of slavery. You will not find any of the writers of the New Testament developing any kind of attack against the institution of slavery in a social, political movement. Now stay with me just a moment. Because if, if Christianity in its beginning had become a, a social, political movement, it would have self-destructed. You say, well then, does that mean that the New Testament approves slavery? Absolutely not. But what it means is that, as one preacher said, he said it this way, that the mountain of slavery was drilled and packed with the dynamite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it went off in the early centuries so that the institution of slavery was demolished by the Christian faith. Now listen to that. What does that mean? The best thing that ever happened in this world in the terms of slavery is for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and be the Savior of all men. You see, slavery as a system can't live where Christianity, where Christ reigns. Let's translate this. I want you to look just a minute and bring it down to our day and time because we really don't have that now, thank the Lord. And I know that there's been a big uprising because of that. But thank the Lord that He came. And because of what He did, saving all men. Jesus came to save all men. Inclusion of all men, all women. Well, in translating this and breaking it down to our day and time, we don't have slavery anymore in America. But let's translate it down to the Christian. Let's even go further. Let's translate it down to the Christian worker. To a person that's on the job. Servants of that boss at your job. What are we supposed to do? Well, we who are workers, we who are servants, uh, we go to the job in the morning, and, and 1 Peter 2.18 says this, Servants, workers, be subject to your master, to your bosses, with all fear. That is, have all respect 
Respect the ones that you work with and the ones that you work for. We've gotten away from that over the years too. If you want, to, if you want people to see Jesus in you and see that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to have respect for those that you work for. He says not only to have respect, but look at verse 18 again. He says, not only to the good and the gentle. I know some of you are listening to me tonight, and some of you have good bosses. I mean, you really do. Some of you have people that you work for that they're just the, the salt of the earth, and, and they're gentle, gentle bosses. They, they, they take good care of you, and, and you just love working there. But then he says this, he says, but he also says not only to be, uh, to be gracious to them, he says be gracious in verse 18 to the froward. Now that's a big word. You know what that word means? That means to the crooked. It means to be gracious. Christians, if you want people to see Jesus and you want to turn the critics away, I know this is hard. I know that you're looking at me tonight and saying you're crazy. I, I, but that's what the Bible says. It says be gracious. That means the people that, that nothing you do is right. You say, oh, that's my boss. That's who I work for. Uh, nothing I do is right. Every move I make is wrong. They're ornery. They're cantankerous. They, they, they're disagreeable. And you have to go in the morning and work for that person. I know you're thinking that. And you say, preacher, please don't remind me of that. I've got to go in the morning and, and see them again. But listen, I want you to remember something. You're a Christian. You're different. This world's not your home. Heaven's your home. You're a Christian. You're taking your testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're taking the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, what you learn in church on Sunday, and what you apply to your life through the reading of God's Word and in your prayer life. You're taking all of that to work with you in the morning. You are that testimony. And you may be the only testimony that that place sees every day. And Peter says, the first thing that we need to do as Christians is to be submissive. That is, do what you are assigned to do. If you're assigned to be at work in the morning at 8.30, I know this is a little different, but this is what Peter's talking to us about. If you're assigned in the morning to be at work at 8.30 and you don't get there until 8.45, listen, you're wrong. You need to get there early as a Christian. You need to be there by 8.25, 8.15. You need to be early. If you're supposed to work until 4.30, but you cut off at 4.10, 4.15 every day, you're wrong. And you need to change that. Because you're submissive. You're the Christian. You need to be a good worker. Somebody is watching you in that office. Somebody is watching you at that building site. Somebody is watching you to see what kind of Christian you really are. You shouldn't take even as much as a paper clip home with you. Don't give them anything that they would think that you're not a Christian and all that that implies. The critics are out there, folks. The critics are watching. The people that are lost are looking for that, that Christian that says they're a Christian, but they don't live up to it. First 1 Peter 2.19, it says, For this is thankworthy. 
And that word there is really grace. He's saying doing this and living like this and being submissive like this is a gracious thing. It's showing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I've used the word graciousness here in this point. We silence the critics by the graciousness of our lives. Look at uh, 1 Peter 2.19. If a man for conscience towards God, that is, because of our testimony for the Lord, because of our respect for the Lord Jesus Christ and our dedication to God, we are to, as 1 Peter 2.19 says, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. He says, because of our Christian life, endure grief. In other words, if you're given a hard time on the job and it's not justified and you respond to it the right way, that's an evidence. It's an evidence that the grace of God is in your life. It shows to those people. Look what 1 Peter 2.20 says. I know this goes against everything that that we try to do. Everything. But listen to me. Look what 1 Peter 2.20 says. For what glory is it if when you are Uh, When you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. He's saying now, sometimes people have these hard times on their jobs, you know, and and they go through these things on their job, and and, and what happens, they brought it on themselves. They're they're acting foolishly themselves. And they want to blame everybody else, and they want to be the martyr, you know. And, And... And it's really because, you know, it really wasn't their fault they were fired, but really it was. Or their fault they were let go. Uh, don't, don't use, don't say things like, I'm a Christian so I was fired when you know better than that. Don't, don't say things like that. A lot of people are fired because They just don't do the work. A lot of people are let go because they just do not uh, come up to the fact that they are employees and they're supposed to do the right thing. Their character. A lot of people are fired because they just don't do what they're supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying that there's some Christians that are wrongfully let go because you and I both know that that happens on a daily basis. We know that. But don't use... Being a Christian and saying that they fired you because you were a Christian. Don't use that. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.20 again. He says, but if when you do well, when you know you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you know you're you're a, a good worker and you're a good servant, and, and that no matter if your boss is bad or good, you're you're doing your best. You're there on time. You're you're, you're working because you're a Christian and all that that implies. He says, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. What does he say there? He says, this is acceptable with God. If you're a Christian tonight, be careful how you live your life. If you love the Lord tonight, be careful how you live your life. Because someone is always watching, no matter if it's at the job, no matter if it's at the church, no matter where it's at. Be an attractive Christian. 
Be a submissive Christian. Be a good citizen under the laws that God has allowed to be in place. And when we do that, we'll silence those that, that live such attractive... We'll, we'll uh, silence those with an attractive life, with a submissive life. We'll silence those with a grace-filled life. So that others will see Jesus in us. And that's what it's all about. That's what the whole sermon comes down to. That this world needs to see Jesus in you. They need to see Jesus. Lord Jesus, I love you tonight and I thank you for the message. I thank you for how Peter wrote these words so many years ago and they still apply to our lives tonight. And Father, I, I know this is practical Christianity. This is the way that you expect us to live. And Father, help us to be mindful of everything you have for us. Lord, help us to, be, to live our lives to be attractive. Help us to live our lives to be good citizens. Help us to live our lives to be gracious so that we can quiet the critics. God bless America. Help us, Father, tonight. Help our government. What you've done for us here tonight in your word. If you're watching tonight, thank you for watching and listen. We want to invite you to church on Sunday. We want to ask you to come and be part of our service here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Soon we're going to have Wednesday night starting back. and we'll be, we'll be here on site on Wednesday night. That's going to be such a blessing to have somebody in church that we can preach to. So make plans now. Start getting ready now that I, I'm going to be there as soon as I can be there. Come on Sunday. And if you want to wear a mask and be over in the fellowship hall, just, just get up and come. And get back in the habit of getting in God's house. And God bless you. We love you tonight. Thank you for watching. Listen, uh, be true to the Lord and, and live your Christian life so that others can see Jesus in you. God bless you.